0: Welcome to Fringe, gentlemen. Here on the 440 Sports Network, my name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Elon Sewer at Braden Gall.
1: Jesus, mine's Aaron Dugan. You can follow me on Twitter at the Aaron Dugan or Instagram Aaron underscore Dugan.
0: That would be Zuckerberg Sewer. Two different sewers. Get to us anywhere you want. Uh, Chris Lee on the show today from VandySports.com, Southeastern 14. He he, uh, Aaron, you know you've known him as long as I've known him. I would say no human being more qualified to do a Vanderbilt State of the Union and a College World Series recap than Chris Lee.
1: He knows the stuff. That's for sure.
0: Nobody more. Practice for that one. Nobody more obsessed with college baseball. So we'll talk about sort of like what LSU's run means historically. What are the next steps for college baseball in the SEC? It's just like so utterly, completely, ridiculously dominant, sort of like football question. Like what's next? Mm -hmm. Um, Yep. TV ratings were out. Greg Sankey was out on the the sewer. there, spewing all the numbers. Uh, Very proud of the numbers for the TV ratings. Uh, College softball still crushing uh, when it comes to the TV ratings. But uh, it was, it was a, The last two games kind of sucked, but the first game was great. Uh, But LSU is the champion. Congratulations to LSU. And I've got a couple of questions for you that we're going to get to around that. But Chris Lee is going to do most of the baseball talk and the Dandy Sports uh, State of the Union. I do have a question today on the show. Sort of our main topic will be um, bust potential. You and I have talked, you and I and Aaron have talked a lot about why everyone seems so positive and happy in this conference right now. And (laughs) that means someone's going to be disappointed. So we're going to we're going to elevate a few names caution beware bust potential could it happen to these particular teams or programs coaches or players so um we're going to do that on the show today however i guess we got to start with by the way if you're watching on youtube we appreciate you uh you know check us out subscribe rate review the whole deal share the product we do appreciate you guys um obviously we'll start with the with the tragic news Ryan Mallet passing away drowning accident on a beach trip it's just uh ridiculous and the only thing you know tragic and i can't imagine being in the moment like in the afternoon at a two o'clock and you know this this kind of thing happening is just you know we go to the beach all the time you go to the beach all the time like just putting yourself in that situation is just insane to me um it's like
1: but it's a good reason to be cautious of things that you think are just normal like going out to a sandbar and you could stand and ryan's very tall i mean ryan was a friend but not not a close close friend but like i did know him and i um I mean, I think that you just, you, especially with the last two weeks, please have a healthy respect for the power of the ocean because it is, I mean, we just get a little lackadaisical sometimes you think you can stand. So everything's good. So just careful. It's really sad.
0: Yeah. It's like my, my, me and my wife, we get our daughters go to the beach all the time and they like, they're so comfortable in the ocean, but like you still never. You're always just like, you got to have an eye on everything. So just, you should be
1: slightly it, uncomfortable at all times. Yeah,
0: exactly. That's exactly yeah. what it is, which is basically what parenting is. Like you have a child and then you're just <laughs> uncomfortable the rest of the, your life. Um, seven years Fair. in the NFL, seventh in the Heisman Trophy voting in 2010. They've, Arkansas's only had three 10 win seasons since joining the SEC. One of them in 2010 was Ryan Mallet. He threw for 3,800 and some change that year. 32 touchdowns, 9.4 yards per attempt. Um, you know he was basically one game Aaron i looked at the 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 his the, the stats sort of uh for the arkansas razorback football program and he was basically one game away like a couple hundred yards and two touchdowns away from being number one all time in passing yards and number one all time in touchdowns in arkansas history that just like for like that like just one game one more game and he he has both records
1: and he didn't even start at arkansas you
0: no know, he went to michigan of course and also the one thing i remember the most about ryan mallet not just his his you know, quality football at under Bobby Petrino at Arkansas was that like coming out of high school, I was working at rivals, I think when he was coming out of high school. So we were covering recruits in a much deeper way. At least I was personally. And I honestly like to me, comparing him to anybody is like to me, he's Matt Stafford or he's Matt Stafford light because Mm -hmm. I don't I don't think those are the two strongest football arms I have ever seen. Ryan Ryan Mallett, Matt Stafford, maybe Jamarcus Russell. But Mallett and Stafford, I would put as the two strongest football arms I've ever seen coming out of high school. And I think they came out around the same time, maybe not the same class.
1: That'd be right, because you and I were both working at Athlon at that time.
0: Well, and I, had, well, I just, I just moved. So I don't know if I was, I, I think I don't, again, I have to go back and check what recruiting class he was. But when he went mm-hmm. to Michigan and of course he left Michigan because they hired Rich Rodriguez to run the zone read and you don't oh, run no, the, you're
1: right. You're right.
0: You don't run the zone read with Ryan Mallett. <laughs> So um, but he came down to Arkansas and put up two incredible seasons and again just um tragic for the family and and uh, for
1: his high school team and
0: yeah, like yeah.
1: yeah. So had to address that, but that's a yeah. sad day.
0: Um yeah, you texted me and it was just like, What WTF man, like what are we doing? So I know what uh, a
1: weird like couple weeks.
0: So I, I guess that means we can at least try to be uh, positive here and congratulate LSU and uh, the Tigers on their sixth, I believe, sixth national championship or seventh national championship, basically, in like the last 30 years. They are the Alabama, I would say, probably of college baseball. Um, Paul Skeens, Dylan Cruz, the best pitching performance we've seen, the best hitting, best hitter in the game, going to be the number one pick in the draft. Chris Lee's going to talk all about this. I had a question for you, though. Um, first, first oh, two questions for you. Number one, and I was watching the game with my wife and my two daughters because they wanted to see the final game. And it was, (laughs) I'm watching this two teams and it is so easy for a family of Tennessee volunteers to pick which team we are rooting for. And I don't (laughs) think it's because Tennessee and Florida has a rivalry. I mean, they do, but like objectively, not subjectively, objectively, I am, and I put out, I threw this out on Twitter. A bunch of people responded, and I was surprised that most people agreed with me on this. That LSU, if you are not a fan of either team, you're a fan of another SEC team, you're a Vanderbilt person, I'm a Tennessee person. If you're an Arkansas fan, if you're a Kentucky fan, isn't objectively LSU far more likable than Florida in general? Uh,
1: Yeah, I think they are. Why is that? Is it just because. Are they just so like crazy Cajun? We don't care. I think so. We get excited about everything. Like join us or don't.
0: I think the whole vibe is fun and and enjoyable, and it's a party, and the culture, and the food, and the people, and the vibes. It's all the vibes. And Florida, I'm like, I don't know what your vibes are, man. I don't know like what what is it about Gainesville that sets you apart from every other? It's not meant. This is not meant to be like anti-Florida here. But come along with me, South Carolina fans. We're anti-Florida now. I, I just. I think if you're a fan of one of the other 12 teams, wh- like who, which team that is not your favorite team do you most like in the SEC? And to me, it's always been LSU. And a lot of it is the energy and the culture and the vibe. And like you can go get, you know, just unbelievable food, get crazy drunk and like do- get dog cussed and then like hug each other afterward. You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: I mean, I'm tra- I was trying to think if there's somebody else that I could. I mean, I feel like that about Arkansas, but that's only because of Sam Pittman, probably.
0: Well, but Fayetteville's <laughs> um, awesome. The yeah.
1: Fayetteville's awesome and it's like they they're friendly when you go visit. I mean, Florida, like if you go to uh if you go to Florida LSU at Florida and see see who gives you or either either school, see which fans are more friendly to you. It's almost well, always gonna be LSU.
0: And it's not even like friendly necessarily. It's just not like Florida is just
1: it is, Florida. is kind of friendly.
0: Like, but they're really good. Like two national championships in basketball under Billy Donovan, Urban Meyer with national championships. And maybe that's why I don't like him. Urban Meyer is kind of a trash human being. Uh, the base- Florida Ke-
1: Mike. Florida Mike's gonna
0: No, Kevin Sullivan. Me. Kevin Sullivan Kevin O'Sullivan is a is a great coach. Like I've had beers with the guy. Like he's a great dude. I have nothing against Kevin O'Sullivan. Like the baseball program is very, very good. It like I love Pete Alonso as a Mets fan. I I just don't there's just nothing distinguishing to me that makes them unique. Like, I, I don't know, like you know how I yeah. like Auburn. You know how I like Auburn a lot for some reason. Like I, I like the town. I like the vibe. I like the energy. I like how like it's just this idyllic comp. Pl- we like Oxford, right? Like there's just places yeah. and and teams that we don't mind. And as a second favorite team, I'm curious who people love and who people hate in the SEC. Like, I don't expect an Ole Miss fan to ever be like, "Yeah, Mississippi State's my second favorite team." Like, of course that's not. No, 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 no. But I'm. I'm I think curious. LSU's up there. I just felt like objectively LSU's more likable than Florida. Objectively.
1: I agree.
0: Okay. Well, Sorry, here's what Florida. I here's a, at here's least you're not I,
1: picking on South Carolina right now.
0: Here's what I want from everybody: just sent. I, I want you to on the on the sewer machine there at Braden Gall, um, at the Aaron Dugan. I'd love to know what teams are like. Like, if you can't root for your favorite team in the SEC, who's the team that you can that you most like, or the team that you most hate? And we already
1: know most of those, but yeah, we'll take either.
0: Well, but but like, no, yeah, I guess that's true because rivalries. You know, if you're an Alabama fan, you hate Auburn. I get it. That's not why I'm, I'm trying to sort of take people away from their personal fandom and say like, all right, step back from that. What are the teams that I just find LSU's whole energy and vibe to be very likable normally. And I get it. If you're yeah, an a- you you M- kind if you're, of if want to be a-, a part of it, if you're an A&M fan, you hate that. If you're an Arkansas fan, maybe you do hate that. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm just making this up. Uh, here's my last question. And we'll, move on. we'll move on to football. Um, I can't put my finger on it. Literally my finger. Oh, what, what is the difference between Dylan Cruz and, and Angel Reese? I just can't put my finger on what is the difference between those two? Why are in you one, saying physically? Because he he gets I think he, he he drives in some runs. He's the best player in the game. He's going to be the number one pick. They're up big in the national championship game. And he has the audacity and the disrespect for baseball to point to his fit ring finger because of the championship ring. The exact same way that the LSU women's basketball team did the exact same way that Joe Burrow did. It's an LSU thing, and they've earned it. But I didn't see the outrage on the Twitter machine, Aaron, about Dylan Cruz doing it,
1: taunting, taunting
0: his opponent in a championship just, setting.
1: When it's him, it's all in good fun.
0: The audacity. But I can't figure out what's the, difference, what's the difference, Aaron, between Dylan Cruz and the LSU women's basketball team. What Can you put your finger I... on it? Can you put your ring finger on it?
1: I am not one to spoon feed. <laughs> I'm just not.
0: Just say it out loud. She's a black woman. It's okay. Um, well, she's
1: yeah, she's a chick, first of all, and then also yeah. another another minority that causes people to burst into flames when I and I give just, all of their opinions that we don't care about.
0: I can't believe how disrespectful Dylan Cruz was to Florida. Thank you and, for pointing
1: that out. And the I game appreciate of
0: there was zero outrage. There was no outrage, no grievance on Twitter anywhere. I couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe I it.
1: Can, I can totally believe it. <laughs> and so can you. Oh, but I appreciate man. you bringing this up. See what I'm saying? Thank
0: you. See what I'm saying. Yes. Uh, just wanted to point that out. Just want to point that out. I think our audience has evolved enough to laugh along with us at this. Uh, I
1: think so. We don't have We don't sarc- have too many shitbags.
0: This sarcastic portion of the podcast. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, so let's get into some players, coaches, and teams that could disappoint. Because... Part of the reason, and this is not, this is not, I want to be very clear to everyone that we mention here. This is not the prediction. This is not what I think is going to happen. What I am trying to figure out is who are the teams, coaches, players that are entering this season because everyone is so happy and everyone is so at peace with what's going on in the SEC. Everyone's optimistic. Like. Uh, there's got to be someone who's going to not be as good as we expect, or not the player's not going to be as good, or the coach is not going to be as good. And I think there's a, a handful of names that I would put on a list of just be careful. Right? Is that yeah. a better way to put this? Yeah. Like very much t- so. At the top of the list is Bobby Petrino at Texas AM. Sure is. A- as a coach, he's at the top of the list. Now, track record says he's going to be great. But don't tell me the volatility and if it doesn't work, like I, I just as as far as new coaches go, I think Bobby Petrino is at the top of the list of be be careful, be careful.
1: We talked about the dynamic of that coaching staff and discussed if it's going to work and, and how it will play out and, and the chemistry there. But um outside of that we have seen the results of the trickle down morality attitude honesty of coaching staff to players and players you know if you're if your coaches are are wild now like we've known Bobby Petrini Bobby Patrino to allegedly, allegedly allegedly do allegedly allegedly do then like monkey see monkey do so good. I mean, you gotta. You better be on your best behavior, and everything better be kept real tight, um, or else you may see some behavioral issues in uh, with the guys on your team. Uh,
0: again, this is not our prediction. We are looking across the conference and this saying, "What might be?" Where is it? Po- so I no, see. Here's the thing. My prediction is. That I'm just A&M's, kidding. My prediction is is that Bobby Petrino and Connor Wigman are going to be good at Texas A&M this year. That's yeah, my prediction. I don't...
1: I can't per- I can't predict what he's gonna do in his personal life, but I do think that Ellis I mean I do think that AM will be fine.
0: I-, I think in the short short term they'll be great. Right. I don't know how long it lasts. So a c- couple of teams I want to throw out and see the very I want to see what your varying degree of reaction is to like bust potential. Okay. Because expectations are extremely high at Tennessee,
1: mm-hmm.
0: pretty damn high at South Carolina. Yep. And your boy, Sam Pittman in Arkansas, this conference is so difficult. Those three teams all could be very good. They all could absolutely be nine win teams that are very, very good. Odds are one of them does not live up to those expectations. Just 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 statistical probability. It's
1: just Matt. Well, there's just not enough wins to be had.
0: Right. So I don't know who it is. But when I look at the list of expectations for teams, and then try to figure out, all right, well, who could actually disappoint? Who could bust? Who's not going to reach those levels? You got an unproven quarterback at, in Joe Milton, South Carolina. Spencer Rattler still needs to be more consistent. Uh, KJ Jefferson's great, but like a lot of questions. Replacing two coordinators at Arkansas, very difficult schedules for all three. Uh, which one of those is are you are you most concerned about?
1: I think to me, there's like a a difference in concern of outcome and concern of fans expectations. I think that the hype around South Carolina and everything that's that's gone into that, I I just don't want that fan base to be get their hopes up too much. Like I'd love to see them do well. But with um, like. Obviously, Spencer Rattler's gotten a lot of, you know, I mean, there's a, obviously a lot of hype there and a, a lot of it is is earned, but there are a lot of factors that could make things flux one way or the other. And, you know, is he going to be able to connect with? So, I mean, there's we've got some really good. People in the wide receiver position, are they going to be able to connect? Is there chemistry there? Um, and then there's been a lot of hype around like the talent influx, but remembering some of those guys are young. Like, yes, the you, like your roster's improving, but a lot of those guys are freshmen and they're and they're young and they're new recruits and they still have, you know, uh, they still have some time to fake fig- like they need time to figure things out or at least get, you know, some exposure. And then um, in terms of we expect the offensive line to be improving and pass protection to be better, but. I mean, that's an offensive line. Like we talked about a million times is a puzzle that has to perfectly fit together. So to me, I just, I, I really hope that all these things kind of align for them and that it goes well, but any of those want, any of those things could kind of yep. set expectation high and then it, it could crumble back down. And then with Tennessee, I mean, I, I know what you're saying in terms of Joe Milton, obviously we know that the guy's got an arm on him and accuracy has been a concern but I, he's got a chip on his shoulder and that team the team the past present future of everybody with Tennessee has rallied around him like kind of put them in this bubble I was like y'all can talk shit about him if you want to but he's good yeah. so I mean you know I think there's probably I don't know I trust them more than I trust me
0: <laughs> I I that's true. Uh, Milton is a great kid, though, too. Like just hardworking, beloved in the locker room, like really well respected young man. And that doesn't mean anything. Doesn't mean he's gonna be good. I, I think the the expectation it does mean something, but I think the expectations for Tennessee are higher. And so yeah. if if fans are expecting ten and two. Then I think eight and four is disappointing. I don't think South Carolina fans are expecting 10 and two. I don't think Arkansas fans are expecting 10 and two. I think I, either
1: of those that you just named would be happy at eight and four.
0: R- yeah, million, so eight and four at South Carolina, I think, is a hell of a season with their schedule. Hell yeah. Hell, I mean, eight and four with Arkansas, I think, is a pretty darn good season. The question is, is if one of them falls to six and six, Tennessee would react the hardest because their expectations are a little bit higher. 100% but also, agree. But I also think Tennessee's floor is higher because I think the offense and their schedule, like they're going to beat most teams they're supposed to beat because the offense just doesn't get stopped very often. And I don't think Arkansas or South Carolina can sort of say that yet. Um, And it doesn't mean like other teams don't belong in this conversation. Ole Miss, Kentucky, I think are two teams that you could put into this conversation. A lot of expectations for those two teams. Devin Leary, a lot of expectations from me for Devin Leary, the new quarterback and Liam Cohen, the new slash old coordinator. If they go six and six, that's a huge, that's a major disappointment, and that's not out of the question for Kentucky. Ole Miss is the same way for Lane Kiffin. Six and six would be, I think, a big disappointment for Ole Miss fans. So somebody, this is going to happen to somebody. I'm just trying to prepare people. Like, here's the other thing about Arkansas: if South Carolina and Tennessee disappoint to some degree, maybe one game, like they're seven and five, let's say, there is no chance Shane Beamer or Josh Heupel are on the hot seat. No chance. They've put they've put enough equity in the bank. That, yep. that they would need a second bad year. I If Arkansas goes six and six, I think Sam Pittman is under pressure next season. Like, that would be two consecutive disappointing seasons, right? So I think yes. that is, that's sort of the difference. Like, they all kind of have little differences, right? And I think that's the difference with Arkansas is that Sam's a little further along than Shane Beamer and, and, and Josh Heupel.
1: Agreed. And I when you when you talk about the hot seat, well, A, there's some coaches that I mean, there's all sorts of different kinds of coaches, but Sam Pittman's already putting himself on the hot seat if we know anything about him and you and I have, you know, had chances to interact with him. I mean, he is he is not too prideful to admit when something's not working. So I think if yeah. the season doesn't go the way that it's supposed to, you will not see him trying to repeat the exact same behavior, the same way you will see him making changes, even if he, I mean, he'll take the fall for whatever happens. He always does, but you'll see him actually trying to do things to switch it up and not being too prideful to think my way is good. It's just taking a while. I think we'll see some major changes. If we, if Arkansas don't get doesn't get the results that they want this season
0: here's a sentence that no one's ever heard i'm a lot like sam Pittman. sam Pittman's a lot like me transparency to a fault i think is sam one of sam Pittman's like it it makes him so likable and so genuine but like i think you're right if they're three and four or something he's just going to come out and like not only is he going to protect his guys he's going to take the blame (laughs) for it and be like this isn't working and i'm not doing a good job and it's like well now you're giving the boosters an excuse to like have a meeting about it. You know what I mean? Like he's
1: right. He's almost
0: transparent to a fault. And I'm the same way. Like I just, I cannot lie to anybody. I don't ever want to remember what I had to say to people. And sometimes that's, that's used against me like in, in whatever situation, but I, I just, it's the way I've always functioned. And so I just, I can't, I can't not say the honest thing out loud. Sometimes that gets me in trouble, you know, but yeah. I, I, I think, uh I think Sam's that way. Like he's just so naturally like, ah, well, you know, the run game's not working. I, that's my guy. I hired him. I got to figure it out. It's my fault. And then, you know, people go on message boards and use that against him, even though he's just sort of saying what everybody already knows, you know, is happening.
1: Exactly. So, uh, exactly.
0: Eli, Eli Drinkwitz, I think that thing could could bottom out. If Missouri, we, we both like Missouri, but if Missouri bottoms out, he could be in some hot seat conversations. Florida, we already talked about ad nauseum. They're kind of expectations. Do you up.
1: really think he is? Or
0: would um, be? I, I think he's the... If they go four and eight, I think that's a really fascinating discussion. They've, they've done a really good job recruiting and they've been a better team than their preseason record every single season, but that's still only 500. So I don't, I don't know what should be expected of Missouri, honestly, with this roster, quarterback situation. Like I don't, you know, I like them, but seven and five, eight and four would be an extraordinary season. And I, you know, they're probably going to get to six wins again. So what is that? That's not fireable. No but it's not great. So <laughs>
1: he has done a lot for that program, but it's at certain point it's, it's college football. It's relentless.
0: Yeah. I think, you know, at, okay. We, we, the, the glaring one is Alabama. And if Alabama somehow falls to like something absurd, like eight and four, that could be a team that is very disappointing. I don't see that on their schedule. I don't see that on their roster. I don't see that with their coaching staff. They look far more like an 11 and one team than they do an eight and four team. But if they lose two games again, Bama fans will be disappointed. But that's ten and two is still a hell of a season. So I don't, I don't know what to think of Bama. Like worst case scenario, you know.
1: I I mean, I we have put Georgia at the top because they deserve to be there. And anything that happens with Bama that is um, ten and two or better, I think it's going to have to be okay. (laughs)
0: What's the bus? What's the bus factor for LSU? Like, what happens if all of a sudden we look up and they? They have the same record as they did last year. They lose to Florida State in Week One. They lose to Bama on the road. They lose one other game. All of a sudden, they're a nine and three team. Preseason top ten. Are do, do LSU fans acknowledge that there's still a building process that's happening, which is clearly what they need to think? Yeah. Or or are they already like, oh, we won the division last year. Now we need to be twelve and zero and making the playoff. Like I, I don't know what to think of LSU fan expectations either.
1: I don't know if this is me being too reasonable when it comes to LSU fans. Most of my family lives in Louisiana, so I don't feel bad saying that. But the I think it will matter the way that they lose. If they're losing game, I mean that like last second to great teams on big plays, like I, I don't think the judgment will be as hard. I mean, it'll take years off people's lives from being there sure. and watching it and watching it on TV, but it won't it won't look bad. I think as long as LSU is, I mean, you got to sit up pretty high. I mean, if if like, what are you saying? If they win nine and three, will will there be disappointment or anything below 10?
0: It's sort of similar to the Tennessee conversation. I don't think Tennessee fans are expecting a repeat of last year. If they are, that's irrational. I think LSU fans can expect some growth, but I think if their expectations are, all right, we won the West last year. Now we need to compete for an SEC championship and get to the playoff. I think that's asking too much in year two of a coaching tenure that is clearly in the right trajectory, but like, I just, are they fully mature yet to be an 11 and one team where they can go on the road and beat Alabama, beat a top 10 Florida state team, technically kind of on the road in the bounce house, like a lot of other tough games on the schedule. Like there's so many good teams in this conference. Somebody's going to get you. Like yeah. I, Tennessee, I think this is why I have the under for Tennessee nine and a half. This is why I'd have the under on so many like seven and a and eight and a in this conference. Like, if, mm-hmm. I, I think LSU's closer to nine and three than they are twelve and zero. So I
1: and there's there's still never forget that there's some luck that goes into twelve and zero as well. Oh
0: yeah, oh yeah. So
1: well, everything would have to be. They're definitely moving in the right direction, but everything has to hit perfectly to end up twelve and zero in the SEC.
0: But I think to your point about the fans, I think LSU kind of under fans everyone I've talked to, I think kind of understands we were a little ahead of schedule last year. Yeah. This year there, we, we should be a better team. It doesn't necessarily mean better record, but we're building towards a championship caliber program very soon. Right. Agreed. Yep. Now, I, so I think LSU fans actually shockingly, I think are pretty rational about this. Yeah,
1: I, I agree. Yeah. And I, it doesn't really, it's not totally on brand that they would be that yeah, reasonable. Yeah. Same, but same, same for agreed. Tennessee. Like, yeah.
0: If Tennessee fan gets a nine and three season, they're like, that's totally fine. That's what we expected. I'd be like, look at you guys. You're all grown up.
1: Uh-huh. Just happy to be here.
0: Look at you guys. Um, otherwise, I think that's the, the, the bus potential is like Joe Milton, Devin Leary, Spencer Rattler, those three quarterbacks in the East, Bobby yep. Petrino. Then you got, I don't think Hugh Freeze has bus potential. I think they're going to be pretty, I think they're sh- going to show improvement right away. Agreed. Um, I think as a team, it's Arkansas is the one that really concerns me. Tennessee, South Carolina, Ole Miss, Kentucky, somebody's not going to be as good as we expect. And I just, we're trying to pinpoint those teams in June.
1: <laughs> Ole Miss, <laughs> so. of the ones you just named, Ole Miss fans would take it the best.
0: I don't know. Like after the flirtation going to Auburn, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Did Lane, they, they as Neil said on the show, Neil McCready a couple of weeks ago on the show said, uh, they are no longer in the honeymoon phase. This is now a business relationship with Lane Kiffin. So, when, when you flirt with Auburn that 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 publicly, yeah, uh, this is that's what happens. This this is true. So uh okay, uh Vanderbilt State of the Union, uh hammer the over on the three and a half. Uh, yep. and of course a lot of college world series talk with the SEC, the future of the programs, LSU Championship, Florida, Vanderbilt, Tennessee, um, Kentucky, Mississippi State. There's so many great baseball programs in this conference. So uh Chris Lee was was kind enough to recap the college world series, the NCAA tournament, where the state of baseball is in this league and offer a very fairly optimistic view of the Vanderbilt Commodores. Here was our conversation with Vandy Sports and Southeastern 14's Chris Lee.
2: Chris, welcome to the show, my good friend. How are you, sir? Doing well. College baseball is over, but there's never an off day in college sports anymore. It's become like the NFL where it, it's 12 months a year. We're a couple of weeks out from media day, getting ready for that. And then of course on the baseball end, we'll have the draft. So it, it just, it never ends, but it's been been a lot to cover and, and some kind of exciting times in, in college sports too. So you, you, you are one
0: of the few people I could ever think of that. I would want to put some historical context around what LSU accomplished winning the College World Series this year. Of course, you also run run the Vanderbilt site as well, so we're going to talk a lot of Vandy football today in our State of the Union, but I want to talk baseball with you because you've been covering college baseball in the SEC for as long as anybody I know. And I, I would like to, first first and foremost, just I, I've heard a lot of hyperbole around uh, Paul Skeen and around Dylan Cruz and around the greatest performances we've ever seen. And a lot of times we do that in in the moment, and I think that's sometimes that's totally fair uh is it fair in this situation like what where can you where does those two individual performances a, a pitching performance a hitting performance a team performance can you try to put into context what LSU accomplished a, as a team this year winning the championship
2: yeah, a lot to unpack there. Let's let's start with the two major players in, in Cruz and Skeens. It's been my opinion a while, for a while. And I've I've covered SEC baseball for 20 years, and I said this a few weeks ago. I think Dylan Cruz, in terms of body of career, like if we had a war for college baseball, I think Dylan Cruz probably would have led all players who, who stayed for three years in war in the last 20 years. I, I feel fairly confident in that. Uh, the guy was a factor from the moment he stayed on campus. Sometimes we get into judging players for, for peak value in last season, and that's how we remember them. Cruz has been a stud since he got there. Jay Johnson said he's maybe the best player in the history of college baseball. I don't know that I'm qualified to say that. If you want to talk SEC, I'm guessing you have to go back to Dave Magadan at Alabama. Frank Thomas at Auburn that's in the 80s and the 90s I wasn't around then to follow college baseball it was a different era I don't think the competition was as probably as good uh but all I know is for the last 20 years if you said who's the best player in the SEC in that time I would say Dylan Cruz um would, would would
0: Dansby Swanson be on the same list of like accomplishments like talent MLB draft prospect championship rings like is Dansby in the category
2: He's in a different category because he didn't play his freshman year. Or he, yeah. I mean, he played, but he got hurt in March okay. and was a reserve. And so, I mean, Cruz was a like a freshman All American, and and just being able to have that extra year. I mean, it, it's not close between those two. Now, if you're making a list of of guys I've I've seen play, and you know, especially at Vandy, Swanson would be on the list of non-pitching guys, probably right, number right. one, but missing that year kind of. Hurt when you only get three years to start with. Um to Skeens, I would say most dominant pitching season I've ever seen. Um, here's a kid who could throw you a complete game in an era where if a guy gives you six, you feel like you're lucky. Uh the, the Vila, I remember the Tennessee game, Braden, you probably watched that, but I think he was bumping 102 and had two other pitches that were working. I mean, he's six seven. He threw, what, 120 pitches plus, what, twice in Omaha. I mean, goodness gracious, you name it, he he had it. I mean, he, he only had like two off days all year that I remember. They had the South Carolina game where he gave up two early home runs, I think, to a, a lineup that can hit him in a park where they can get it out. Um, and, and then it rained for two hours and he didn't come back. And there was one other start he had that was – more ordinary it was it wasn't awful but i mean everything else he just aced every other test i've, I've never i mean th- there was talk last night on the broadcast that when could he pitch in the majors and i mean like why why would you not plug him into a, a rotation tomorrow i don't know what he would need at this point now that's almost <laughs> never the way it works um for for whatever reason maybe with the new rules around baseball that they agreed to with with prospects and such. Uh, maybe it plays out a little differently, but yeah, th- those two guys are great. And, and look, in, in terms of history, I was thinking about this last night. Sometimes you get national championship teams that win it, that, that they win it, but sometimes it's Fresno state 09. Oregon, state, which was a, a, yeah. a, yeah, well, I mean, Oregon state 2018. That's, that's probably on the list. I think that team had single digit losses, but it also played in the PAC 12, which isn't the sec, um. I thought Vandy 2019 was sort of my, my default pick as best college team I've seen because not only won the World Series, I think it won 59 games. It won the SEC. It won the tournament. It kind of pulled the right. whole thing. And, and plus was preseason one, I think, and the number two seed. Like every box you wanted to check that team hit. LSU, I think, would be in that category. Probably a better hitting team. Um, the, the pitching is kind of weird because you had Skeens. that was so much of their pitching, right? Like, I don't know if that LSU staff was as deep as at Vandy staff, but I don't know that Vandy had a pitcher as good as Skeens did either. Even as great as rocker was, that wasn't right. Paul Skeens. No. Um, but and in the pitching was the question, right? Like, th- remember, this is the team that lost to Mississippi state uh, what the eighth or ninth series of the year, because nobody could get an out. Uh, but then you saw an Omaha kind of came together. Thatcher heard pitched. Well, He's a probably a major league pitcher in the future. You had, they got four or five guys: Floyd Ackenhausen, Herring, Gidry pitch well out of the bullpen. Like you need about six guys if you've got one guy like Skeens, and they got it. So the things that you would pick flaws with LSU four kind of came together at the end. I think it's on that short list of of greatest teams all time. Yeah. Uh, if you consider body work, there are flaws you could pick with the body work with pitching, yeah. but. I mean, when you got Tommy White and Cruz and and I mean Jared Jones pinch hit last night, Braden. I forgot he was even on the team. He had 14 <laughs> home runs as a true freshman. Um I mean that, their that team was loaded.
0: Their kitchen sink, their kitchen sink day against Tennessee, like their pitching was great. Like it was it was a lead yeah. uh, against Tennessee. Um I here's so this is gonna be a weird way to ask this. I don't know what the question is. So you, what is the question <laughs> to ask about SEC baseball? Because you now have four consecutive champions that are all different. You've had what three different all SEC championship matchups in the last five or six, seven years, going back to when Florida won it, I believe, in 17. Um, you, you've, you, you know, when it comes to attendance, when it comes to like they're taking LSU alone has taken coaches from like Notre Dame and Arizona. Like, they, yeah, they, like they, what is the question to ask about SEC baseball? Because we have this debate in football all the time about it being the greatest in sort of every category. Like you said, checks every box. It, it checks every box in baseball as well. What What is the right question to ask about SEC baseball and how much, like, the, the state of the game right now in
2: this league? Well, let, let me go back um, a couple steps beyond you. Okay, if, if if Arkansas catches a foul pop-up, we've got, what, six... Different national champions in six years, and they're all from the SEC. Let me see if I'm doing my math right. Working backwards, LSU, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Vandy, then you would go if you gave Arkansas a with a covid year,
0: with a covid year in there. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Right. Right. And, and, and look, I, I would argue that Vandy 2020 with that pitching staff, uh, didn't start well, but then, well, Florida had (laughs) in Georgia, Georgia was off to a crazy good start. Um, so, just unpack that for a minute. How many different teams did we just mention there? That didn't include the team that had maybe the, the best regular season I've ever seen in, in Tennessee two years ago. Yeah. Uh, that was the number one seed to the tournament. Um, that that didn't include Alabama, which I think had a really good season and, and got a crummy draw. Alabama should not have been a 16 because it was a 16, it went to wake. That didn't include an Auburn team that's hosted two years in a row and gotten Omaha a couple of years in a row. I mean, South, I South, Carolina, South Carolina. you had. Kentucky was good, Braden. Yeah. 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 South Carolina was, was almost a back to back to back national title team a dozen years ago. Uh, they came back. I mean, may, maybe the question is if you're, can Missouri ever compete? Missouri was good until it got to the SEC. Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe. I, I think I like the way you phrased it and may, maybe it's who is, is poised to navigate what comes next. And what comes next to me is NIL and, and where that goes. Cause you got teams that handle it very differently. And the other thing is the conditions, Braden, you, you saw this in Omaha, a, a game can swing on one thing. I was listening on the radio to, to the Sunday game and Ty Evans hits a ball and the way they're calling it, you're telling they're thinking this is a routine fly ball. Next thing they know, they realize the ball's gotten out of the ballpark, and he's hit a grand slam. And one of the first thing they said is, "Yesterday that ball didn't reach the warning track."
0: Yeah, and, I mean, and it t- said it's a,
2: a four run swing. The Tennessee
0: LSU game, like you couldn't hit it, you couldn't hit it to the warning track at all.
2: Yeah, yeah, and and we've got these situations where, I mean, LSU couldn't get anybody out half the year when, when it went to the bullpen, it goes to Omaha. The dimensions are different. The wind's blowing in all of a sudden LSU can pitch. You've got issues with that. everybody thinks the balls are juiced. Um, the, the players are throwing harder than ever. So it's coming back harder. You, you're having exit speeds that, that guys in the majors aren't matching. So I think we got something with the bats and the balls that, that has to come, Probably And it's a safety issue, right? Somebody's going to get hit in the head and maimed at some point. Well, um, the, but the, the, the Florida is, is, pitcher,
0: I can't believe the Florida pitcher didn't break a leg, oh, e- you know, yeah. like break his femur on that one pitch in, in the final game. And to your point, 48 base hits from the two teams that won the last two games of the regular season. Like that yeah. reminds, that reminds me of like the old, what was it? Warren sharp days, like back in like the nineties, yeah. is that the right name? <laughs> yeah. That's not the right. That's like a football guy. What's the, what's the name that I'm thinking of that hit the Oh, Warren Morris, Warren, Warren Morris. Morris. Yeah. Warren Morris. For, yeah. Uh, speaking of LSU. um,
2: So, it, it's, but, so, but, man, well, 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 one more thing, let's remember, and this is, this is kind of a baseball thing. Um, And this is the side, like when we make changes, we overreact. Right. The last time SEC or the NCAA made changes to stuff, you had that, what was it, 09, 10, 11 era where balls were flying out, not quite like they are now, but close. So, what did the NCAA do? It went to the high scene baseball, which was more dead. And like you couldn't hit that thing out of Omaha with a sledgehammer. Yeah. Uh, you had what, one home run in 2014 when Vandy won it one or two, and it was ridiculous the other way. And now you're seeing balls. And what happened to Braden, is when the balls got changed, people brought the fences in. So the NCA changed the balls. And now you're seeing games with the ridiculous home run numbers. Right. So my question is maybe a lot of what changes with that next. And, you know, if you go build a team like a slow pitch softball team, but then the NCA changes it back to where the ball right. doesn't get out of the park right. and you can't cover ground in the field. Uh, there's there's a lot of variables there that could change. I don't know where that's going and maybe that's the question. As
0: a baseball fan, I do love that the game's intricacies get heightened at TD Ameritrade like you have to put pressure yeah. on the other team to make the high level play all the time and if it's, if it's a close game, you know when it's low scoring, like I kind of like that the game is played old school in, in Omaha but I yeah. don't like the variance between some of the SEC stadiums and just the wind blowing. I mean, I know that's part of sports or whatever. I I get that. Here's let me let me float you an idea about what the next stage is for SEC baseball, because I think SEC baseball, it's not even like it's it's like football. You cannot argue that it's not the greatest in in the game. Softball, you could argue the same thing. Now we're going to add Texas and Oklahoma in both sports, in which case it's going to get even better in both softball and baseball. Here's what I want. And I think there's some things brewing. I want the coaches to hate each other. That's what I want. Like and and one of the things that I love about college baseball, so this is going to kind of fly it's going to kind of yeah. be contradictory here. One of the things I love about going to Omaha to cover the College Rule Series is how baseball coaches are willing to talk about their sport in intricate mm-hmm. detail unlike college football or basketball. There's not state secrets, yeah. they're not they're not paranoid schizophrenics. They're kind of willing to just explain how why this guy's playing first and why that guy's on Saturday pitching. And like they they're willing to go into detail about their game because they we're all baseball people and we're all willing to talk about right. it. Right. Certainly Tony Vitello has ruffled some feathers. We know Tim Corbin doesn't like it. We, you know, we've got all these other personalities in the sport. I feel like the next phase is for like one baseball coach to start turning in other baseball coaches and like have like a Phil Fulmer subpoena thing at like SEC Media Day. Is there a way to is that where NIL and the collectives and recruiting, is that going to start being heightened with portal stuff that maybe that's the next phase of becoming like a, a bigger, more broadly interesting sport for more people outside of the just diehard oh, I, baseball I, fans?
2: I think we're already there. I think we're getting there in a hurry. Um, and that's one of the things I I'll, I'll I have a different I, I've, one thing that I've liked about baseball, right, is that. Baseball fans, it feels like, are kind of like baseball fans first. Yeah. I mean, you, you like your team, and I guess your loyalty to your team is is paramount, but I, you know, I I get interested in watching Aaron Judge, even though I don't like the Yankees, and kind of interested in seeing him do well. Like You will see, this used to happen at ballparks, like a guy would go into somebody else's park and pitch a gym, and he would get a standing ovation coming out of the game just because it's baseball, and you appreciated the game for what it was, uh, I remember talking to, to Tim Corbin and I just said, this is kind of when I was new covering it. And he said, the, the thing that I like about it is that it's, you don't have the other stuff that comes with football. Yeah. Um, like the, the biggest scandal in baseball for a long time. And I don't even know exactly what he was talking about, but I guess it was something that went back to Michigan in the eighties when they had Larkin and, and Hal Morris and Chris Sabo, something w- with, with, selling programs to where I guess maybe money with like that. That's like not even a, you know, one over the speed limit in, 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 <laughs> in football terms. And now you are seeing a lot of allegations. I, I don't, I don't think tampering is good. I understand that the game and it, it's sort of becoming this thing where I, I think we'd both agree that probably driving 90 in the 55 isn't good. And both of us, if, if we set yeah. out and leave the house today would say, all right, I, I, I probably for the best of everybody ought to be driving as close to fifty five. But if you're on the interstate and everybody's going ninety, um, you've you've got some survival choices and some safety choices to make, and that may not be the right analogy. But I feel like no, I think it's good. Baseball's kind of kind of headed to that place where um, you may see some teams that are allegedly starting to drive ninety that that are against it and weren't because you have to do that to survive. I, yeah. I, I think the tampering issue and th- there are coaches in the league that are calling up other kids and it, it doesn't even, I don't even know that they go through intermediaries anymore. Some I, I of see, them probably that, do. That's my yeah. issue
0: with, so I don't number, I don't care about tampering as a concept because it happens in every single walk of human life. Right. Like I don't know how you, one human can take another job at another company without having a right. conversation with somebody off the record. So I don't uh, tampering as a theory doesn't bother me. If a coach is directly contacting a player who is not in the portal, I I think, you know, and coaches need to name names. You know, we've got football coaches who are like, oh, I know for a fact so-and-so got this offer to leave my team. And like, well, no one's willing to put their name on it or put another person's name on it because everybody's kind of doing it. I I don't like that part. But, you know, the Alabama scandal, while it's, you know, it didn't really hurt anybody per se. It wasn't like a, a, like you know a criminal uh, abuse scandal or something. Um, that's that's higher up at Alabama. The, the uh, right. like the coaching, it was a scandal. It was bad. It was wrong. He should be fired. But it got a lot of attention to college baseball for a while, and it means that yeah. So I don't I don't know. I'm trying to. It, it's softball is such a fun product, and it's gaining so much notoriety. And it's outdrawing the men's game, but the men's game is great, especially in the SEC. And so I'm just trying to figure out like, what's the, you know, what's the, you got the greatest pitching performance in the history of the game. You got the number one overall pick is one of the best players in the history of the SEC on one of the best teams in the history of the league. Yeah. And, and, and I bet you ratings are, are, are solid. Not, not great. I bet you ratings are solid.
2: Okay. Here, here's my answer to that. I'm, I'm going to go two different directions. Um, I think one, you just watched the talent on the field last night. You had maybe the first three picks of the draft in in Skeens, Cruz, and Langford. And you got a bunch of guys. Jack Caglione could go one overall next year. I, I would bet you, you know, Cade Curlin, uh, some other guys on Florida. You, you'll see Neely and some of those guys picked high in the future. LSU is going to have Tommy White probably go in the top 10 overall next year. Thatcher Hurd is going to be a big league. I'm like I, I, The thing that's going to be interesting is two years from now, when they do the draft, you and I need to have this podcast, and we need to say how many guys that played in that title game ended up being first-rounders because it's going to be a big number. I think the talent itself is good enough to attract people, and now that you got the TV exposure, and, and baseball going more in a mainstreamist direction Um, I think the game itself is good enough without needing all the, all the sideshows. Um, I'm going to offset it with this. Mike Leach said something in his last media day that I thought was one of the more profound quotes I've ever heard. I don't know how much it caught everybody else's attention, but it caught mine. And he said, you know, what, what if you took the NFL today and you gave it unlimited year to year free agency. And and you gave it all these things, an unlimited salary cap. What kind of product would you have? And, and the point that he's making from that is pretty obvious. That's the direction we're headed in baseball. I think we need some guardrails. I'm not against kids getting paid. Um, I, I think the NCA kind of created this problem with the whole, you know, go go back and look at the Jim Trestle thing, ten or twelve, years, and like how yeah, yeah. completely ridiculous is that now? Yeah. And so I think I think the NCA always it overcorrects. And then it just said, screw it, we're going to let this go wherever it goes. And and maybe in some ways that's a good thing long-term just to see what, what people are willing yeah. to pay and what the parameters are. But when you have these uneven things, when you have tampering, I don't think that there's some things in there that are good long-term for the sport. Um, and let me ask you something. If you're, a, if you're a coach and you feel like you need to play the tampering game, you're calling a kid on another team to gauge his interest in the season. In the back of your head, are you not going, well, how loyal is this kid going to be to me? Let's say I bring right. him in as a freshman. I, is somebody else? I, I think you have a mess. I think Leach hit the nail on the head. And I think some semblance of organization and guardrails and rule. And look, look, this doesn't happen in the NBA and the NFL. They figure out a way, like if there's tampering charges, there's penalties to pay. We need to get to a place where I think it can be more like that. I don't know exactly what all that looks like. But ideally, that's where it would
0: be. I mean, they to answer your question. I mean, they have a legal tampering period. Like that's what it's literally called in the NFL, which yeah. I find, which I find completely hilarious and ironic. Um, yeah. I don't. I don't think you can stop. Like all these kids, especially in baseball and football, all these kids grow up on the same circuits. They're all running in the same travel leagues. They're all running in the same. You know, all the strength and conditioning coaches know each other. All the assistant coaches yeah. know each other. Like, it doesn't have to be a – and again, I I would argue this is exactly the same in real life, that, like, no one quits their – no one walks into their boss's office and quits their job without having already had a conversation with someone else about their next job. Like, that is just not how yeah. the – that's not how capitalism works. And so right. I, I think we have to accept some of that in college athletics. Do I think, to your point, the NCAA had 25 years to fix this problem and just punted on the whole thing the entire time? Yeah, I think they – I think they intentionally walked the entire, you know, NIL, pay for play, whatever you want to call it, issue. And just and and they created this mess themselves. So if I blame anybody, I don't blame the players. I don't blame the coaches. I blame the NCAA. Um, We need to move on to Vanderbilt. But I do think it's fascinating to watch. Like, what is the I agree with you. The product is elite. You cannot argue that the product is not the best. And I am far more interested in college baseball than my own New York Mets now, just because Major League Baseball is like, it's just so watered down from night to night to night to night to night. I love the postseason, but I can watch. I, I love the scheduling of the SEC baseball where I can go, all right, who? What, what weekend big series do I have to watch this weekend? And it's the three games and it's two elite teams. Maybe it's two or three series in the SEC that I'm going to watch. It's so, it's sort of like soccer in that it's scheduled pretty regimentally, kind of like college football is every Saturday. I, I think there's there's plenty there, but there but the, the, it's I don't know if it ever gets out of the region. But, hey, the region is pretty freaking yeah. dominant. The, the region is pretty dominant right now. Um, we'll see if all these problems these problems are f- affecting football, which brings us to the Vanderbilt Commodores uh, and Clark Lee. And I want to take a 10,000 foot view real fast first before we drill down a little bit further. And I do appreciate your time, Chris. Um. There's a quote in our magazine in Athlon Sports that says um, that, that they, they the defense is just Lee's fingerprint. The offensive identity is all over the map, but here's the quote that I want to say. They want to fight you. That's the sign of a good culture when you come to play a two or three win team and they scrap for four quarters and play hard. They're getting better. Um, there are no shortcuts, it seems, with Clark Lee in terms of what he's building. I don't know what that means long term. I don't know what the final ceiling is for that, but it seems like he's building it the correct way. Is this the right approach for the Vanderbilt Commodores football team?
2: Yeah, I mean, look, Brain, he took over a bad situation. I've I've said this, I've maybe said it to you before. Anytime a coach takes over at Vanderbilt, it, it's basically always a rebuild, except in the case of when James Franklin left. It was a little different situation, although they had plenty of rebuild to do there in, in in a different sense because of the Vandenberg issue. Sure. I think one Clark had was was worse than most Vanderbilt rebuilds for a bunch of reasons. It would we could do a whole podcast on that alone. But bottom line on the field is they don't have the ta- like you watch them, their dudes in the trenches have not been what everybody else's are. Even lower level SEC teams, their their skill position guys do not have the speed and athleticism that everybody else has to have, and they're still not there yet. They're closing the gap through recruiting a little bit, but they're never going to be LSU. They're never going to be Alabama. And one thing Clark Lee did that that he showed us at practice last year. Their whole thing was hey, when 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 a guy goes down, we want eight guys in the pile basically. And we want to be the team that when you play us, you walk out of the stadium going, man, they, that was a physical fight. And I think if you're hearing coaches say that on the other end, it feels like maybe he's starting to accomplish something. No, look, their defense was was awful last year. I mean, Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee combined to score what, 160 points on them. It was it was pretty bad. And there's, there's no getting around that. But I think that attitude and mentality he brought to it about the things they can control, which was that, started to pay off. I mean, they beat Florida and Kentucky at the end of the year in, in games that I didn't really see coming. Two teams with much better talent beat Kentucky on the road. And look, both teams at that point in time had stuff to play for and were playing well. Florida, I thought when they played Florida, was about as hot as any team in the country outside of... Tennessee, LSU, Alabama, or at least in the conference, playing really well, and and that they got Florida that day. It, I think it goes to show they've still got the scoreboard showed you they've still got miles to go. I think those two games showed you that he's got something in the approach that allowed Ben to win two games that they had really, frankly, had no business winning.
0: I, I honestly, I think it's the highest compliment you can pay a team is that like that that team like you can't do anything about talent in general when you're talking Bama versus, you know, or Georgia versus Vanderbilt or whatever, but the fact that you can be down whatever, 45 points and still playing your ass off like that, that's as high a compliment as I think you can pay a coach in terms of what he's putting into the players sort of mentally. Um, I I was going to ask you, you kind of addressed it there. The two wins, it shades the season in totally different way. Uh, Is that more of a function of all of that stuff taking root? Or is it to your point, more of a function of, you know Will Levis was completely hurt the offensive line was atrocious florida was was kind of you said it they're not exactly limping to the finish but that was one of the worst florida teams we're going to see in quite some time uh do you think it's a function of all of that what what's what's the answer to that question
2: you know it, it's been interesting the first two years clark lee gets criticized for having some boring press conferences and using the same clichés and one of them he used was staying in the fight and and they kept talking about playing our best And it sounded stupid when they're just, when they're on a 20 game, 26 game conference losing streak, but you look up and and all of a sudden they've won a couple of games. And I think the not focusing on, okay, what's the scoreboard. If they're focusing on that, I'm not sure they win either of those games, Braden, because that gets to be really disheartening, but pointing out the things we did well and the things that need improvement. I think that's what kept them on track, um, I think it's that in in building a culture that's, I think, a pretty good culture. Um, I think they're very sensitive in terms of who are we going to take? Are they right locker room people? I think those things pay off. To to answer Kentucky specifically, yeah, Will Levis couldn't move, and his offensive line couldn't block me and you. And even Vandy got a pass rush that game, which they didn't do most games. So, sure, that had – to do with it but Kentucky was still more talented than they were and I, yeah. I think them winning that I had a lot to say about Clark Lee uh
0: offensively they're one of only two teams in the country in the conference that return both their coordinator and their starting quarterback I'm counting AJ Swan as the starting quarterback um wh- we know Clark Lee's identity on defense we've just talked about it but offensively even the opposing anonymous scouting reporter sort of like we're not really sure what they are they're all over the map some of that's been the in and out of the quarterback they've had what four different guys start for Clark Lee what is there some stability now with the return of a quarterback and the return of a coordinator? Again, LSU is the only other team that has that in the entire conference.
2: Yeah, I think you hit on something really important. I'd go a step further. They have got the same offensive and defensive coordinator. And, and if you want to be go a step further, special teams. And I think that's the first time in, I don't know, six, seven years, they've returned the same offensive and defensive coordinator in back-to-back years. It, I mean, it, it's hard to be, and especially at a place like Vanderbilt, like at Georgia, you could probably get away with that just because you go and get dudes and, you know, they, they could run the wing tee if they wanted to and and, and just beat people on talent. Um, at Vanderbilt, it's not the same. I, I think the stability has really helped them. I think giving A.J. Swan that job early in the year, letting him grow into it. He's a really talented kid. Uh, almost all his receivers are back. They lost Ray Davis, which is going to hurt some their line is stable they've got a lot of the same guys back they've got seven or eight guys who started again talent gap between them and the rest of the league is is there but in terms of stability and some continuity that's where they might be able to make up some ground
0: so i hammered the over on two and a half last year made my money early in the year i would hammer the over on three and a half this year again yeah uh the question is is you know 5 and 7 growth is a bowl game. I think that's a lot to ask with this schedule. How do first of all, what does the stadium look like that they're going to play in? And and number 2, what do fans like if they go 4 and 8 with an SEC win and maybe they lose to Wake and they win three non-conference games, that that could still be progress for this team in terms of yeah. getting better. What what are fans expecting and what is the stadium going to look like? There's
2: a lot of talk about bowl games. Um, and it's interesting. You can feel like the first couple of years, again, it was all this, let's be our best Vanderbilt. There was no talk of, of tangible win loss goals this spring. I was over there from the first day I was over there. It was bowl game. So to me, that internal shift to where, and with Clark Lee, nothing's going to be an accident. They're not going to just go out and shoot their mouths off about bowl games if that's not coming from the top. And you heard it from players, you heard it from him, you heard it from assistants. So that shift in expectations to me is significant. Um, I, I'm with you. I would I would take the over on three and a half. Uh, look, they, they could get four right off the bat, depending on how ready Wake is with the quarterback change hmm. and, and where Vanderbilt is with, with defense. But, you know, if you start looking at individual games, it, it's hard to say this is one in the league where they should be favored. Uh, Florida's one that, that I got a lot of questions about Florida and they've actually played reasonably well in Gainesville, uh, in, in recent years at times, um, you know, Kentucky's going to be better. Tennessee is going to be a tough get. South Carolina is one that you could say maybe if things go the right way, but that's always at the time in November, I think that's when that game is where Carolina is playing better and they yep. haven't won that one since 08. But like last year, if you'd said, where are they going to get two league wins? Yep. Yeah, but but they got him. So it's kind of one of these things where on the aggregate, I can see it when you start having to name names, it gets a little tougher.
0: Well, and the Ole Miss game is always bonkers between these two teams. Like it never goes the way you expect it to go. South Carolina is going to play such a tough schedule that that could actually be a good time to get them if they're beaten up and, and have lost a bunch of games that, you know, you get Kentucky and Missouri at home to start the schedule. You know, you almost beat Missouri last year. You beat Kentucky last year. I, I, I'm, I'm with you on hammering the over. Uh, well, uh, thank you for your time. I'll let you go on this, but please explain to people what the actual home game is going to look like. If you look at photos right now of the stadium, for those that do not know, uh, all, most a big chunk of it is missing where they're doing a huge renovation, yeah. which is, which is a great positive because they are investing in facilities and in football. Uh, but it is going to make for a kind of a weird situation, I assume this this fall, right?
2: Yeah, I think, I think the big winners this year are going to be ticket scalpers on SEC game days uh, because you've got a large hole in the end zone. It was a big pile of debris last I was over there, which has been probably three weeks. You've got a, a pile of degree, degree, debris in the other end zone too, which there weren't a lot of seats there to begin with. But, yeah, they're, they're doing a complete overhaul of the stadium. There's going to be two large buildings in there by the start of the 25 season. Uh, there's been some talk of – are they going to be able to play every game in there? I guess they'd have a soccer stadium at their disposal and the Titans perhaps, but I've not heard any any real traction on them having to move games lately. But, yeah, capacity is going to be much less. If you are an out-of-town fan uh, wanting to come to a game, I wouldn't necessarily count on a, a ticket as being a guarantee. You, you might want to nail that down before you make the road trip.
0: I don't know. November 4th is after the Nashville SC Soccer Club stops playing. Uh, so Geodis Park, the largest soccer only stadium in America, November 4th, hosting Auburn. That could be pretty fun. That could be pretty fun yeah. over there at the new city. Sta- at the new stadium. So no, it, Vanderbilt's committed and they're investing, which is great. Uh, the team is getting better, which is also great. Um, and we'll see what happens on the field. Chris Lee, thank you so much for joining us, man. We do appreciate your time. Hey, thanks, Braden. That was Chris Lee, of course, of VandySports.com, Southeastern 14. My question is, Aaron, uh, as he alluded to, ticket sales for Vanderbilt football games for road teams, which generally is a a big part of the audience. Not trying to be rude here, but that's a part of the audience.
1: You're not being rude.
0: Um, Right now. Right now, there's like no like south end zone. There's like a whole portion of the stadium missing. Correct. And they didn't have a north end zone before. They had like a couple of of bleachers and a little patch of grass back there, which they're going to fix as part of the renovation. Correct. But it is going to be a weird scene to watch games in 2023 on West End. Like, it's going to be weird.
1: I know. I don't really know what to think. i spent a lot of time in that stadium. But, yeah, it's going to be – you know, I haven't – I actually – I'll be totally transparent. I haven't had a chance to hear this interview with Chris Lilly. So can you – normally I do get to before we're on the show. So can you tell me a little bit about what he said about ticket sales?
0: Oh, just that if you're a road fan – you know you're gonna have a tougher time getting tickets because there's a lot fewer seats. Yes. So, um, so if you're coming in and I was <laughs> I was just looking at their schedule, like you've got Kentucky and Missouri at home, which are two very actually winnable games. Yeah. Um, but everybody looks to have a trip to Nashville. Like that's what that's what everybody in the SEC. That's also part of the problem for Vanderbilt. It's <laughs> not just.
1: It's like, it is very much part of the problem.
0: No one's no disre- no disrespect to all you lovely folks in Bryan College Station, but no one circles College Station as a tourist destination when they're planning out their travel. In the regular season, everyone circles Nashville. You got yes. Georgia, you got Georgia and Auburn coming to town, two massive fan bases with a ton of alumni in the city. Mm-hmm. And then you got and you got Kentucky, Missouri. So those four games, I imagine, especially Georgia and Auburn, uh, that's gonna be hard ticket to get if you're coming to Nashville. So because if you're again, a Vander
1: fan, if you're a Vanderbilt fan and you normally go to games, please go to games because yes. if you don't, it will be even more overwhelmingly uh the away team,
0: <laughs> yeah, and and again, the, without the end zone, I don't know exactly how many seats that removes, but let's say it was thirty eight thousand before. It's probably down to thirty thousand now. So it just it just makes it more difficult for for and it's personally it's just going to be weird. Like it's just going to be weird to look at the stadium without like either end zone. It's just it's going to look how do, like Oregon. It's look State, like
1: a glorified high school stadium.
0: Well, maybe, uh but Oregon State famously the last couple of years because they've been renovating their stadium. It only has one half. Like they only have one half of their stadium. Super weird. Super weird. And they won 10 games last year.
1: Well, I hope we can tear a page out of their book.
0: Wild, wild times, wild times. But hammer the over three and a half Vanderbilt. I like what Clark Lee's doing. Yeah. Those Commodores are dangerous every single game because they play their asses off. And that is as high a compliment as you can, uh, as other coaches can pay uh, to Clark Lee and his administration. Aaron, where can people find you?
1: The Aaron Dugan on Twitter, Aaron underscore Dugan on the gram. And you?
0: You can get to me at Braden Gall at four forty Sports. Send us the teams that you like in the SEC. They're not your favorite teams. I want to know who do you enjoy rooting for, genuinely, in any sport. Like who do you like rooting for outside of your favorite team, but within the conference. So I understand there is some psychological dynamic there, but just I'd love to know because it is for me. It is I just in LSU. I don't know why it's just always LSU. The colors, the vibe, the energy, the uniforms, the history, the people, the food. I don't know. I it just it's always been LSU. Sorry, it's vibe. Sorry, Bama. Um, it would never two, be Bama. You're two Yankees for me. Like the B- Bama's too like. You're not allowed to have a mustache or any personality at all. Otherwise, uh, everybody enjoy the weekend. Thanks for listening. This has been Fringe Element.